2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, there are two universes Two universes, and that is the only way to explain this market's behavior. <laughs> After a fabulous day where the Dow gained 240 points, S&P advanced 0.82%. And Nasdaq climbed 0.90%. I got to go there. I got to explain these alternate universes. There's the universe with the booming economy. And then there's the universe with the faltering economy. One of them is a fantasy. The other may be reality. But occasionally, they bleed into each other. A week ago, everyone was freaking out about a possible recession. Remember that? I mean, it was so frightening. The market was down gigantically. It was on the front pages everywhere. Since then, though, we've gotten a spate of incredibly positive earnings reports from gigantic retailers like Walmart, <laughs> Home Depot, and now Target and Lowe's. So, which universe is real—the robust one that we've seen this week, or the teetering one that we visited a few short days ago, the one that had me on the Today Show urging people not to panic? <laughs> When, once again, panic was the order of the day. Remember, panic is not a strategy. Let's dissect these two universes, please, because they're colliding here. And in the end, well, we know there can only be one, like the Highlander. The recession scenario that drove stocks down hard last week was all about the machinations of the bond market. Long-term rates had dropped below short-term rates, indicating a lack of confidence in the future, the dreaded inverted yield curve. This odd inversion always precedes a recession. It's a sign the Federal Reserve, also which controls the short-term rates, has missed the mark. The Fed's caused many a recession. They know nothing! Sometimes they do it deliberately. Sometimes they do it by accident, which was the proximate cause of the Great Recession. If you buy this logic, we're inevitably headed for a recession. There's no avoiding it. The reason? The global economy is slowing, thanks in part to our trade war with China. The president of the United States has decided that it's worth taking a short-term hit... If it means we can stop China from devastating American manufacturing, stealing American intellectual property, and spying on American citizens. It all seems so reasonable, doesn't it? The rest of the world really is having a tough time. The Fed really has been pretty clueless. Tariffs really are bad for commerce, even if I think they're sometimes unavoidable. With this line of thinking, you can wrap a bow around the impending recession. So you better stock up on Spam and Velveeta to prepare yourself for the fallout. As for the stock market, look out below! That's one theory. But now let's consider what happened today, where the averages rebounded back to where they were before the bond market induced panic, even as we hit inversion levels once again this afternoon. When you look at the causes, it really is like we're suddenly in an alternate universe. One smacks more at fantasy than a fact. This morning started with the earnings from Lowe's and Target. Both were strong enough to confirm what we already heard from Home Depot and Walmart. The consumer's in good shape and actually getting stronger. The tariffs, so far, they're a non-issue. A 10% increase next quarter is also viewed as a non-issue by these great merchants who can tow the line and squeeze suppliers because they're so powerful. How about price inflation? More like deflation. Traffic was way up. That's a classic sign that the consumer is flush. And as the quarter came to a close, well, guess what? The numbers accelerated. (laughs) Lowe's made it clear that contractors in particular were spending more heavily, in part because ultra-low interest rates will spur more home buying or home equity loan-funded renovations. Thank you, Germans! We've got a phenomenal labor market, so homeowners were emboldened to invest in their houses, which are rising in value as mortgage rates come down executives of both Lowe's and Target talked about labor-saving technologies that help keep prices down. I've been saying this for years. The tech that comes out of Silicon Valley is inherently deflationary. That's why another reason j can cut. As soon as we finished digesting these positive earnings reports, we heard from Brian Moynihan. Becky Quick interviewed him. Our uh, own Becky Quick, always supposed to say that, on Squawk. And uh, Brian's the CEO of Bank of America. He's their own CEO. And he told us that our long-term they told us that our long-term interest rates have plunged because of demand for for U.S. bonds from overseas, not because of any economic weakness here at home. It's exactly what I've been telling you. If you're a European and you're getting negative interest rates for owning 30-year German bonds, literally paying the German government to take your money... Why wouldn't you buy some dollars and swap into U.S. Treasuries, even at 2 percent? The 30 years give you a much better return than you get, especially uh, when you consider that Europe's got a currency that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. That's right, because the EU endlessly seeks to debase it. The truth is the eurozone is a mess, dragged down by their commitment to austerity at any price. Thank you, Weimar Republic. Uh, But the weakness isn't hurting our economy. It's only pushing down our interest rates, which we heard from all these execs is good. In this bullish universe, the only thing holding us back is the fact that the Federal Reserve refuses to cut interest rates to levels that are more in line with the rest of the world. Even the tariffs aren't having much of an impact. So which universe is right? The one where our bond market is forecasting a dramatic slowdown, courtesy of economic weakness that we're importing from overseas? Or the one where the biggest problem, if you're a business owner, is finding enough workers in a red-hot labor market? It's funny. I'd love to say the optimistic universe is most likely to prevail. But the talking heads talk endlessly about how a recession is inevitable. I heard it all day. It's uh, if not if, then when? Because President Trump isn't going to walk back his tariffs. And that chowderhead head, Jay Powell, uh, has Trump called him a chowderhead yet or is that tomorrow's tweet? Well, he won't cut interest rates fast enough, something the Fed minutes seemed to indicate when they were released earlier today. This kind of talk does so fear, which is erodes confidence. And without confidence, business pause pauses its new hires and its investments, which then leads to a downturn in consumer spending, which then leads to a recession. It's easier to spook people than it is to build confidence. It's one of the reasons why I don't like to do it. Making matters worse, the experts who fret about the yield curve don't seem to care what we're hearing from a Walmart or an Amazon or a Target or a Costco or a Home Depot or a Lowe's. To them, that's all anecdotal. Dismiss it, Jim. It's just your little thing with the companies. Uh, They take the yield curve instead as gospel. That's bonkers. Sure, it's inevitable that one day, I guess, you know, we're going to have a recession. That's always true. The question is when. When the yield curve inverted before the Great Recession, it was at the end of 2005. stock market didn't peak until the summer of 2007. That's not that helpful. And when all these major retailers tell us, the consumer's in great shape, that's not a collection of anecdotes, for heaven's sake. That's empirical data. Look at my watch. That's right, my acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. These companies canvass the behavior of probably every family in America. The ones who can't afford them go to the dollar stores, which are also booming. As for the trade war, Lowe's didn't even get any questions about the tariffs in the conference call because the analysts were tired of beating a dead horse, and Marvin Ellison did such a fantastic job. Congratulations on the first year on the job. So where do I come down? I think we could still talk ourselves into a recession, but the underlying economy is in great shape. If the president were to simply calm down the rhetoric on China, rather than taking them on like some sort of trash talking wide receiver, the Bears would lose their biggest crutch. I love it if all these wannabe economists who warn us about the yield curve would actually learn to trade bonds, but that might be too much to hope for. Bottom line. To borrow a line from FTR, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, and that fear is pretty darn groundless. Its source, angry rhetoric and frightening jeremiads from supposed experts who don't listen to conference calls because they believe they're irrelevant. So the next time someone tries to make you panic about the EO curve, keep in mind that they probably don't know what they're talking about. Bernie in Maryland. Bernie. Booyah,
1: Dr. Jim.
2: Oh, thank you, Bernie. Bernie. What's going on?
1: This is Bernie from Abington, Maryland. Go Ravens. We'll see you tomorrow. Jimmy, Ooh. thanks for your guidance. Thanks for your guidance and advice over the years, Jimmy. But I got to say, you're also a great entertainer. And watching you every night really always puts a smile on my face. Thank I, you, my friend. I appreciate that.
2: Well, thank you. Look, I have uh, to entertain to get viewers. I mean, look, if I, I, I could just put people to sleep, and then I would have failed 14 years ago. What's going on?
1: Well, the stock I'm calling about is 31% below the 52-week high. Okay. It has a good history of beating earnings expectations, and it's expected to report increases on the top and bottom tomorrow. They have Chinese sourcing because they sell clothing, appliances, and computers. And, Jimmy, the CEO and CCO have sold shares over the last two months. Okay. Jim, in light of the good consumer data that we've recently got and in light of the fact that I'm a club member at this place, the parking lot is always full. Right. Please tell me what you think of BJ's Wholesale Club, Jim. Okay, look, all
2: that is actually anecdotal that the parking lot is full. I think that's fine. What I care about is that Costco is a better company, and these guys don't have the balance sheet that I want, so I'm going to have to say Ixnay on the $22 name. Uh, it's just not what I want you to own. I mean, you could go up 3 I How about Costco? I think you could go up 100 bucks. That's what We want. All right. I'd love to choose the universe where our economy is booming, not faltering. But the nattering nabobs of negativity, thank you, William Sapphire, are seeding enough fear to erode confidence. But please remember, most of the time they don't know what they're talking about. Man Money Tonight. With stocks heading higher today as recession fears faded, I'm talking to a CEO of a company that can offer real insight into how the economy is fairing. Don't miss my exclusive with one we've never had on, Paycom. Then, confused about the proliferation of cloud software place, you're not the only one. Join the club. Tonight, I'm going over everything you wanted to know about, but were afraid to ask. And Equinix's shares are on fire, thanks to the digitization trend. As more companies store data in the cloud, I'm talking with the CEO. See how it's banking on the move. So stay with Kramer.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash card
3: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact.
2: Now that we've gotten some impressive numbers from a series of high-profile retailers, Wall Street's beginning to calm down at last about the state of the economy. So investors are circling back to the same secular growth themes that have been winning for most of the year. And the best of these is the rise of cloud-based software, which is tonight why I want to introduce you to a new name, at least for us haven't been on the show before. I'm talking about Paycom software. Now, th- this company got its start as a tech-focused disruptor in the payroll space. You know, we love disruptors on the show. But it now provides all sorts of human capital measurements called HCM tools. Basically, they let companies replace a big chunk of the HR department with software. This has been a fantastic business, which is why the stock is up. Yet, are you ready for this? S- nearly 1,600% since it came public in 2014. And why Paycom could report yet another amazing quarter three weeks ago. I mean, just incredible. Could the stock have more room to run? Let's take a closer look with Chad Richardson. He's the founder and CEO of Paycom Software. Learn more about his company and the prospects. Mr. Richardson, welcome to May of Money. Good to see you, Chad. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Your company has got by far, not just, but by far the best performance in a category that we've talked about a lot. How is that possible and what differentiates you from the competition? Yeah, well, first, I want to say thanks for having me oh, on the sure. show.
4: I'm a fan. I've watched it for oh, a long thank time. You. Thank
2: you. Uh, you know what,
4: Paycom, we are uh, transforming the uh, HR and payroll uh, industry through the digital transformation, as well as uh, transforming the way both employers and employees use technology. And, and an example of that is if you looked at the way employees use this type of technology mm-hmm. even four or five years ago, Oftentimes, they had disparate systems, multiple passwords, emails, phone calls, and what have you. And today, they're able to have a direct relationship with the database, uh, the same way they do everywhere else in their life. They don't call their uh, airline and book a flight. They don't email their bank to void a check. Uh, No one emails Netflix to uh, make movie selections. And in fact, if they did, We'd probably still be emailing Netflix, right. uh, the movie selection. And so at Paycom, what we do is we allow employees to have a direct relationship with the database. And since it's one database, not multiple, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it an easier experience for both them. And it allows HR to remove themselves out of the data transfer process and into more strategic roles in
2: the organization. So, so HR person would then maybe be more involved with, the, let's say, how an organization is run as opposed to just on board? Yeah, well, exactly that,
4: and even uh, performance, you know, uh, through learning management initiatives, and especially as you tie that to our performance uh, system within Paycom, you're actually able to align both uh, goals for the company as well as employees and track performance, and so uh, you know, and then as we do more for the employee, we're able to identify uh, even more items that make it uh, easier for both the employee as well as the employer to increase performance
2: and overall satisfaction for both. See, I think it's important because we have had other payroll processing companies, and they're excellent, but it's they not add that functionality. And I think what's interesting you keep adding... Uh, great things, which in the last quarter you talked about, the total addressable market is growing for your business. Tell us about that because I don't think it's growing for some of the other processors.
4: Yeah, and so, uh, you know, you've always had the payroll growth in total addressable market. I think it was growing about 3%. uh, But what's really been growing are the other HCM uh, areas of of talent management, talent acquisition, expense management, benefit administration, uh, and uh, learning management. And actually, Paycom has all of those within our system. And so as we've continued to expand our value proposition for the client, we've picked up those other areas of TAM. How about legalization of pot? How about me? Two are you focused on those two well, I mean, from the legalization of pot, I think you know that would be more of how does it impact our own employee base right. and the employee base of our clients? Maybe you would have some uh background check that you used to do that right. maybe you don't do as much of uh, right now. I, uh, I don't know ex- specifically how someone would use us to impact I just that, but we people... have to be mindful of the right. uh, appropriate compliance and regulation. Right, it just, I'm curious about,
2: I mean, we talk a lot about cannabis on the show, and I keep thinking state by state, but I would like to if I ran a business, I don't want stoners. I, I need to know what the process is that I could weed them out without getting in trouble with the law. Well,
4: I think you have to follow the law. Right. And so, uh, you know, and that's what Paycom helps someone does. As you might know, uh, there's different laws in different states for that. And, uh, you know, at the federal level, you're still dealing with that. So I don't know that we have a strong value proposition for specifically vetting out that particular issue. (laughs) But we are very focused on the employee uh, and that relationship they have with our clients.
2: Okay. We talk a lot about the inversion of the yield curve on our network and with the implication that it's got to be bad for hiring you have your pulse on hiring uh, to me the issue in this country is still there are not enough workers somehow the media has made it so that there's that we're about to be on death's door what's your impression from your vast panoply of clients where we are in the economy
4: yeah, I, I think the economy's been strong. Uh, I don't know that we're a great proxy for okay. what's going on everywhere else. Uh, you know, we are in, a, in growth mode. Right. Uh, and, but you have that great that.
2: medium size. That's where the, that's the core of our growth in this country.
4: It is. We aren't really seeing uh, a deterioration okay. of growth uh, in that area, but, uh, um, you know. We're waiting to see what happens. But, you know, we've been through different cycles. I mean, we've been in business since 21 years. Right. And so we went through the 2001 recession. We went through the setup in 2004 for the 2008 recession. Right. And as a growth company, it just it doesn't impact us as much uh, as it might
2: uh, uh, if we were more at a steady state. And let's, how did revenue growth accelerate slightly, uh, 31.5% versus 299 Usually companies that get your size, we don't see accelerating revenue growth.
4: Yeah, we're having a lot of clients actually come to us, and especially we're getting a lot of referrals from employees, rank-and-file employees who are working at one company. They go to another company. They're used to the Paycom experience. It's very difficult for all of us to go backwards in technology, and so oftentimes we get brought in, and so we're having more logo ads. We continue to add more clients at the top end of our range, and we've had an increase in our retention Uh, for the first time. You know, we've moved from 91%, which has always been strong, into 92%. uh, last year. And so all of that's really adding to uh, our, our
2: growth opportunity. Well, you have a fabulous story and a fabulous company. And I thank you for coming here and explaining it. I think a lot of our people are very interested in software as a service, to spend the human capital management, and to payroll processing because they're all involved. Everybody works and watches the show. All right, that's Chad He's Paycom founder and CEO with some amazing performance. Now you know why. That Money's back in the break. I'm talking about off-cycle earnings season here, where all the companies with wacky, non-standard fiscal years report their numbers, like most of the cloud plays. If you've been paying attention for the past couple of years, you know the cloud-based software cohort has been one of the hottest groups in the market. Sure, sometimes these stocks sell off, like they did during the big market-wide meltdown late last year, and sometimes after each quarter, I don't know, they usually come back with a vengeance, which is why we're so focused on them. There's just one problem. They're almost impossible for the layman, meaning you or me, to understand. When you try to read descriptions of their businesses, they're loaded with buzzwords and technical, go to market strategies, scale, whatever. Unless you have a computer science degree, trying to process this stuff is like bashing your head against a wall. And that is really unfortunate. You should never own the stock of a company you don't understand. It's too risky. You won't have a clue what's going on, particularly when it goes down. But the gains in these cloud names have been so spectacular that I hate for you to miss out. And that's why tonight and tomorrow, because there's so many of them, I'm going to give you a primer on the best cloud-based software companies. And it's going to be in plain English. You do not need to have gone to Stanford Computer Science. And you'll, after this, know what the heck these companies do when we mention them. So tonight we're going to start with one of the ones that already just reported. Then tomorrow we'll do the rest. Okay, uh, we're going to do all the ones that reported. Let's start with Splunk, which just reported, and the numbers look pretty darn good. For those of you who don't remember, Splunk's one of our initial, original cloud kings. They're in the data analytics space, specifically machine data. Basically, they take the unformatted, unstructured data that's constantly thrown off by connected devices and show their customers how to learn things from it. They turn digital trash into digital treasure. No wonder, of quarters a blowout. CEO Doug Mardis is a superb manager, and in a business that is pretty cutthroat, you know, I've never heard a word that was bad about him. He's loved. All right, how about Alteryx, which I just recommended last night? This is another rapidly growing analytics play. Basically, their technology sits in the middle of your data ecosystem. Their platform doesn't care where the data comes from or where it's going. It's like a very efficient pipeline between inputs and outputs. Like I told you yesterday, the numbers here are just stunning. But I don't want to chase at these levels. Got to wait for a pullback for Alteryx. Next up, there's ServiceNow. John Donahoe, remember him? He's great. One of the cloud, one of the, again, the original cloud kings. Here's a company that's in the business of creating so-called digital workflows. In plain English, ServiceNow software helps other companies automate all sorts of back office processes, allowing them to run much leaner operations. This is another labor-saving technology. Remember, these are deflationary companies. When ServiceNow reported at the end of July, the numbers were better than expected, but apparently not good enough for for Wall Street because the stock had run so much, and it it got slammed. Since then, it's continued to fall. But when we last spoke to the CEO, I thought he told a very compelling story. I like ServiceNow at these levels, and I'm not the only one. The stock caught an upgrade from Stiefel this morning, and it exploded higher, up 4% today. It has room to run, though. How about Twilio? You've heard us talk about this one. It isn't just a a software-as-a-service play. It's a cloud-based communication platform-as-a-service. What does that mean? That sounds like total buzzword, right? Okay, other software developers use Twilio to add capabilities like text messaging and voice communication to their apps. If you use Lyft or Airbnb, you've probably gotten a message that was enabled by, yes, Twilio. Plus, now they're trying to do something similar for call centers replacing their outdated software with a more flexible system. It makes it easy to automate this stuff with bots and automated voice responses. Twilio is another fabulous company, okay? I, I, I like these guys very much. Greg, uh, Mr. Lawson, Jeff Lawson, I just met with him again on the floor with his family in the New York Stock Exchange. I said, Jeff, how are you doing? He's fine. I mean, we didn't talk business. We just, he just brings great joy to me, frankly. I think he's an original. He's taught me how to code. Well, somewhat. Now, the stock has been crushed by the recent market wide turmoil. To me, you know what? That's crazy. This story is better than it was a month ago, yet the stock has fallen from 147 to 131 during this period. That's why our Chattel Trust has been buying. It's a small position, not big. You can follow up by joining the ActionLearnPlus.com club. But I think this guy's the real deal. I like it that much that we had to buy some shares. I wish it would come down more. We'd do some more buying. Twilio. Love it. How about one that people make fun of me because I say it all the time at the office, Atlassian, simple team. Atlassian is another communication software play. But rather than helping companies connect with their customers, Atlassian helps employees collaborate with each other. It's not unlike Slack. Someone was accused me of liking Slack the other day. Okay, so Slack stock is down. Shoot me. I think Slack's a good company. Um, new Microsoft Teams chat is also kind of like this. The difference, though, Atlassian specializes. Their platform is specifically designed to help software designers collaborate more efficiently, efficiently and effectively. While they've moved into other areas, software development is still the bread and butter. Now, Atlassian's latest quarter was so strong that the stock barely got dinged in the big sell-off. It's currently down about 6 bucks from its all-time high, and that, well, that may be the one problem. Atlassian stock's expensive. I would not buy it at these levels, but I sure wouldn't sell the whole position if you owned it. Now, if you don't, well, you wait for a pullback. That's fine. Uh, this one right here I like. Okay, just so you know. This one right here I like. I like this one. This, is a, this one's too high, and this one's too high. Let's keep going. And this is the highest one and the hottest of all. It's a company called HubSpot. I've not talked about it on the show. HubSpot is all about inbound marketing. HubSpot offers a free customer service platform, The Hub, where its clients can manage their customer relationships. Then it charges those clients money for additional products to help with marketing, sales, and service. These products help ensure that their clients target the right customers. They make marketing more targeted. Again, HubSpot's latest quarter was phenomenal. Stock has been a juggernaut. Today it reached $200 for the first time, closing just below that level. Like Atlassian, I think it's too late to buy this one, but if you can get a nice pullback, it's absolutely Worth owning, although if it did pull back, I bet just someone would like to buy them. A real company. It's on the buy list of every single growth stock manager out there. HubSpot. All right, how about one that's just stumbled recently and it's been on the show a lot? New Relic. New Relic is problematic. These guys help their clients make sure that all their web pages and apps are, are working quickly and correctly. I don't know if you're on that MLB one that I was before the Phillies got bad. I'm constantly looking at it. That's, that's a New Relic. Anyway, they flag issues as soon as we beat the Red Sox last night. Um, they flag uh, issues as soon as they pop up so they can be fixed a- ASAP. It's a great story. But when New Relic reported the latest quarter, the guidance was widely seen as disappointing. It was a tough conference call, and the stock got clobbered. It lost 29% of value in a single day. Since then, it's kept falling. It's now lost more than half of its value since the peak last summer. Now, I am a big believer in CEO Lucerne, but, you know, we've got to hear from him before I say, hey, step up and buy some New Relic down here. Who else? Oh, boy, here's one that we had on recently. Uh, we, uh, it's hard to keep track of. It's called Five9. It makes cloud contact center software. Basically, they're trying to make physical call centers obsolete. People should be able to do this stuff from any office or from home and do it more efficiently. Five9 is another one that's on fire. I do not recommend chasing it. Again, put it on your shopping list and wait for a pullback. I thought they told an exceptional story when they're on recently. Similarly, you've got another one that told a great story when they're on Ring Central. And that provides other companies with a cloud-based business telephone system. Rather than having the phone company wire your office, you can plug your phones into this internet and Ring Central. How can I help you? Handles everything: voice, video, messaging, collaboration. Plus, their software makes it easy for users to log in with the same identity across multiple devices and locations, including their own personal phones. I wish they made logging into my fantasy draft a little bit easier because then my executive producer wouldn't be sweating the program. But they do not do that. Okay. again, the latest quarter was fabulous. The stock's been on fire. Don't try to chase it. Wait for a better opportunity. And then one more A favorite of Heather Gaines, who who works with us, who knows more about these companies than anyone I have ever met. Zendesk. Think of this company as a baby Salesforce. They help other businesses handle customer support. When you call them with a problem, their platform makes it easy for support reps to answer your questions quickly, either by text or by phone. And Heather's always telling me, please do not confuse Zscaler, Okta, with Zendesk because they're very different. Lately, they've also been moving into data analytics and Salesforce automation, another labor-saving technology. Unfortunately, when Zendesk reported its latest quarter, they merely met expectations and the stock got slammed. The good news! Zendesk seems to put in a bottom here, and this is one of the few cloud stocks that I would count on spying buying right now. Finally, there's Appian, which is uh, thankfully pretty straightforward. Appian is like the way. Appian helps other companies develop software applications. They're all about what's known as low-code development. That's me. I'm a low-code developer. Their platform makes it uh, easier for programmers to make tools without doing a lot of coding. The stock's been a laggard, but in the last few weeks, Appian's become one of the best performers in the cloud cohort, in part because the latest quarter was so fantastic. But with the stock up more than 50% in less than a month, I don't know. All right, the bottom line, too many people are missing out on the great gains in these cloud stocks. Okay, too many. Look at this, we had to add Splunk. Normally, you don't have like 11, right? Dirty dozen, Big Ten, 11. Football, Football players, 11 on a team. No, it's not a baker's dough. That's 13. No, it's 11. It's a gridiron because it's a a fantasy draft night. Anyway, uh, these are cloud plays. Now you know what they do when you're finished with the tutorial. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a cloud ETF for you. that might actually be worth owning, but only if you understand what the underlying companies are all about. And then someone's going to steal it. I'm going to call it the IDK, which means I don't know. Someone's going to steal it, make a fortune on it. And I'm going to sit here just crying in my beer, which, by the way, is not going to be A-I-P-A. Let's go to
1: Paul in Colorado, please. Paul! Jimmy, thanks for taking my call. Of course. I'm a big fan of your show, and I want to give a big booyah from Denver,
2: Colorado. Okay, go Broncos, although I don't like the way Freeman's... We have to do
1: work on that. What's up? (laughs) All right, so... I'm not crazy about the cannabis stocks out here in Denver, but I am interested in a stock called Zscaler. Well, who isn't
2: interested in Zscaler? I mean, other than like Coupa well, Software people. Okay, Zscaler is a company like uh, CrowdStrike that's really built for the cloud and security. And I think it is terrific. It is one that we've had on air. I think they bring great joy to the cloud. Alright, knowing what you own is key, not key site, which reported a blowout quarter, but key and not key bank. Key. That's why I'm focusing on what explaining these companies actually do, so you can take advantage of their gains. What do you do when a phenomenal long-term story seems to fall apart right before your eyes? For the better part of a decade, the data center was one of the hottest secular growth stories around. We had a constantly growing need for more data center capacity as more and more companies migrated to the cloud. That led to some monster gains for the data center place, including real estate investment trusts like Equinix that ran out space in their high-tech facilities, basically big warehouses for servers to companies that need more computing power. Last year, though, we started hearing murmurs about a pause in data center investment, and the stocks got obliterated. But the long-term story was still very much intact the whole time. It's not like demand for data center capacity ever really went away. So once 2019 rolled around, the group started rebounding, with Equinix leading the way up nearly 57% year-to-date. What's driving this resurgence? Let's think deeper with Charles Myers, the new president and CEO of Equinix. Get a better read on the situation. Mr. Myers, welcome to Mad Money. Money.
5: Thanks, Jim. Wish I could be in studio there with you today, but we appreciate you having on the show.
2: Well, I'm glad you're on because I got to tell you, you are the man of the hour. We have been listening to a lot of semiconductor companies, but most importantly, analysts tell me that the data center story has slowed. Maybe it comes back next year. I look at Equinix's numbers and I say, that's just not true.
5: We agree. Uh, You know, I think we continue to see a really strong set of underlying uh, secular demand drivers for the business. Um, And, uh, you know, we're seeing seeing real strength in the business globally right now.
2: Now, how much of that is because this is actually not a commodity business and you offer features the other guys don't? And how much of it is that uh, Amazon, Google, Microsoft and Oracle continue to get a lot of customers and need to expand?
5: I think it's a little bit of all those things. I would say that broadly we've seen the sector you know, uh, respond very well. We think there's a very deep demand pool uh, for data centers broadly. But I do think that Equinix plays a very unique uh, role in the market, and our differentiated position, I think, is allowing us to even outperform relative to our peers. And some of that, as you said, uh, public cloud adoption is a major catalyst for our business, and every one of the providers you just mentioned is a significant customer and partner of ours. And as, as enterprises are adopting public cloud and looking at hybrid and multi-cloud as their architecture of choice, uh, we're, we're seeing really strong demand.
2: You know that we have been uh, big supporters of Salesforce over the years. there are a tech company involved with you, and also everyone uses Netflix. So how do they connect with Equinix?
5: Yeah, I, I think that you know we 're one of those we may not be a household name, but I think it 's safe to say we 're probably impacting the lives of many of your viewers on a day to day basis working with those types of uh, customers and uh, we We play a very important role in terms of interconnecting our customers, um, sometimes to public cloud providers, sometimes to, uh, you know, uh, software as a service providers like Salesforce, uh, sometimes to other members of their supply chain, sometimes to networks. That's really a big part of our uh, legacy and history has been interconnecting people, you know, to networks. And so uh, the interconnection story is a a really central piece of the Equinix story.
2: Both Chuck Robbins, frequent guests on on, uh, Mad Money and Jensen Wong, so Cisco and and NVIDIA, they have substantial edge Computing businesses, where do they lie within Equinix?
5: Yeah, I think that, you know, right now we often talk about the fact that we believe that uh, Equinix is, in fact, the best representation of the of the digital edge today, um, and that is the point at which people are interconnecting their private infrastructure with public cloud infrastructure, with networks, with other members of their supply chain. Um, and so when you, when you hear about edge, um, you know, oftentimes that edge is, in fact, within an Equinix facility um, and and being interconnected over sort of private interconnection facilities uh, that are facilitated. Facilitated by Equinix.
2: Okay, so if I go into one of your facilities and you have myriad facilities, would I be able to tell, is it all the different clients, or is it like, let's say, does Google to- rent out an entire Equinix for their Google Cloud?
5: Well, uh, typically we, inside of our facilities, we're a little bit uh, unlike some. Uh, wholesalers, which might have one or very small number of customers, we tend to have a larger number of customers in any individual facility, and they are distributed across the uh, across the um, site, um, typically in private cages um, or sometimes in shared cage environments or shared rack environments, um, and they have their uh, their equipment there, all obviously very secured, um, and uh, you know uh, something that's available just to the just for them to access, but they're all across the facility, so you typically wouldn't be able to see who the customer is because they they are very uh, sensitive about that from a security standpoint, but they're all across the facility. Okay, Uh,
2: You've got big business in Asia-Pacific. 21% of your business is in Asia-Pacific. Obviously, you've got 32% in Europe. You've got a good view on trade. Uh, I I sense there's more fear than there is uh, actual slowdown in business, but maybe I'm wrong. What's your take?
5: Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think we're seeing right now continued strength across our business because people are prioritizing digital transformation as a way to gain competitive advantage. And the reality is people who are responding well to that are are thriving, and people that are not are being left behind. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing strong demand. Uh, you know, I think that there, the tensions, trade tensions, et cetera, probably affect some level of sentiment, but we have not seen that uh, impact uh, the demand profile for our business.
2: All right, last question. When I see your Big uh, cloud, Oracle, Microsoft, Google, and yeah, you know, that's Microsoft is Azure, Google. But I also see that your customer is Walmart. Now that is a company that we are just gigantic fans of. Is Walmart so big that they actually have their own, actually have their own uh, capacity and not, don't necessarily just use Google's or Microsoft's?
5: Sure. In fact, I would say uh, that's true of many of our large customers um, that uh, that what the companies are doing essentially is using a hybrid and multi-cloud strategy. And so they have private infrastructure that they may house in a, in a significant uh, caged environment at, at Equinix, but they interface it then with the public clouds and they're using a variety of public clouds to house some of their workloads. And so that hybrid multi-cloud environment is really the architecture of choice uh, for enterprise customers of all sorts. And retail is actually an incredibly strong segment for us. But that architecture of choice, hybrid and multi-cloud is a major driver for Equinix's business. Well,
2: I'm glad you said it because we think retail is much stronger than people are saying. I notice you're down to 1.78% yield, although you're a REIT. I mean, this is uh, not as rate sensitive as when we used to, th- to talk to Equinix, right? I mean, it's just a growth story. Yeah, well, you
5: know, with, with Treasuries hovering at one55 or whatever it is, you know, I think people who are looking for yield um, and are simultaneously looking for growth and to play some of these secular trends, Equinix ends up being a pretty powerful story.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much. It's great to have you on. That's Charles Myers, President and CEO of Equinix EQIX. We've been behind these data center stories for income and for growth. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Tim. Stick with me, Mike. It is time to start with the lightning round. And then the lightning round. Are you ready? Skate that. For the light round. we going to start with Andrew in Illinois. Andrew.
1: Hi, Jim. I'm Andrew's grandmother, and we've been watching you since he was a little tiny baby. He has a question for you.
2: Sure. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My name is Andrew. Um, I'm eight
3: years old, I train with my granny,
2: I like trains, and my stock is Union Pacific. Well, I got to tell you, Andrew, you got horse sense. Union Pacific is a terrific no, stock. No, no. I want you to get your, grandma, your granny to maybe put a little money away for you in that stock, because I think that's a long-term great situation, and thank you, and thank you, granny, for watching. Let's go to Trudy in Illinois. Trudy, Trudy, Trudy. Jimmy,
1: a big booyah to you and yours.
0: Thank Hi, you. Jimmy. One quick question, two quick questions. Teva Pharmaceutical, I'm down half my portfolio, down half the value in that.
2: Um, I don't like Teva. Uh, I know they got some good news today on a migraine drug. That's a good opportunity to be able to let, to, uh, let that one go. So that's my take. That's a twofer. Uh, let's go to Sue in Michigan. Sue.
1: Oh, Mr. Kramer, we think you're
2: awesome. Ah, uh, thank, thank you.
1: Thank you. Um, so I'm your typical baby boomer
4: who's worked 40 years, and I'm thinking about jumping off the retirement cliff here. Okay.
2: And
1: Jim, I know you're going to write me over the poll. Okay. 17% of my portfolio is in Pfizer stock, preferred common, and I
4: reinvest
2: the dividend. Okay. Well, Pfizer is disappointing. It does have a 4% yield, but the better one in that group is Merck. Uh, And I continue to believe that Merck is going to go higher. Uh, And I don't think uh, I think Pfizer could bounce here, but I think you got to let it go. They don't have the pipeline that I'd like them to have. I even prefer AbbVie. That's that's heretical. I know. Let's go to Linda in my home state, of New Jersey. Linda. Hey,
0: Jim. How are you today? I
2: am good, Linda. How about you?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you so much. My stock, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, is ABM Industries.
2: I like that company. I've liked it for a long time. It's just a kind of very sleepy, consistent facilities contractor, not unlike Airmark, which looks like it's got some, uh, you know, a little, uh, uh, let's say, insurgency going there. So I'm going to say yes to ABM. Let's go to Randy in California. Randy,
1: Jim, Slumberger is still best to breed. What about the oil tankers?
2: Uh, no, you don't want to touch the oil tankers. And I'm, I am am choking on that slumberger for I don't want you anywhere near my house of painting. Let's go to Jeffrey in California, please. Jeffrey. Hey, how you doing today, Jim? I am doing well. I am doing incredible. I'm so excited because you were 1,000% correct
4: when you said months ago to buy tons of Okta in AYX, my two favorite stocks. I more than doubled my account when I bought over 20K of AYX in Okta about three months ago. They've gone to the moon. They've never pulled back at all. I just keep buying more and more. Thank you. And they were up about 5% Okay, and today. which stock Yeah, you have so, now? Well, believe it or not, Jim, there's actually something I found a little better than all AYX. Right. It's a Brazilian company called Pag. P is in Peter. I actually know it's
2: payment processing. And you know what? I can't. It's up a lot. I can't bless Brazil. I am very sorry, even though I have a lot of relatives there. And that lays the conclusion of the lightning round. The
3: lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: What does it mean when you see targets shooting up 20% uh, or lows gaining 10% in a session? How could Nvidia attack one another three points of rallying relentlessly last week? Did something change? Did the economy magically shift into overdrive? No, not at all. Uh, these stocks would have gone up no matter what because they delivered some fantastic upside surprises. But they're only really having such massive moves because they're parts of some gigantic short squeezes. Too many managers bet against them, and today those bets went very, very wrong. At any given time, there are tons of hedge funds making gigantic bets on individual companies. That's how they try to beat the performance of the averages, which is what the investors pay them for. These days, many of the hedge funds try to merge the top-down macro perspective with a bottoms-up company-specific approach, along with some anecdotal reporting and some suppositions. Sometimes that leads them astray. In this business, you're always supposed to have the wind at your back, and right now, a A lot of hedge funds believe that the wind is blowing toward a recession, which means retail is particularly vulnerable. But they clearly got ahead of themselves. Just look at Lowe's versus Home Depot. Now, it's a bit of rivalry. We know that. A number of hedge fund managers decided to take a paired position here. That's what they call it. They went long Home Depot and the short Lowe's. This kind of trade is, is a way to bet on the comparative performance of companies in any given industry. Honestly, it made sense. If you look at the last quarter, Lowe's was wanting. And if you listen to the very good Home Depot call from yesterday, it was easy to believe that they must be taking tons of market share from their main competitor. When Lowe's reported this morning and shot the lights out with strength across every aisle and every geography, that pair's trade was blown. Traders know that discipline trumps conviction. That's a rule. If a trade goes against you, you have to get which in this case means covering your short positions at any price. And that's how the stock surged up 10% today. Disciplined short sellers bought back stock to close out their positions and take the loss and catapult the thing in the stratosphere. Target has a different set of circumstances. There was a twofold case against these guys. The bears argued that Target couldn't compete with Amazon and Walmart because it didn't have the scale. And they argued Target would be hurt by the tariffs because it imports so much from China. As a Target shopper, I had suspicions that it would be a terrific quarter, which is why I included Target in my watch acronym of dominant retailers, a Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. The new stores and the small formats are fantastic. The China Reliance, much overblown, and their shipped SHIPT, same-day delivery system, is superior to almost everything. And those were enough to blow away any of any of the concerns. The results were spectacular. The stock caught fire. Target was a totally wayward short that was dead on arrival. So the covering of that short began way before the opening this morning, and that's how you got such an amazing run. Oh, and all the macro-oriented managers who bet against these stocks because of the yield curve now look like dopes. They thought they were facing we were facing headwinds, but really this economy's got a strong tailwind, and there are other reasons for an inverted yield curve. Finally, there's Nvidia the uh, semiconductor company. Here's a company that had a series of uh, subcar quarters. Every time they told us their new products were either too early for their time, like the chips that enable uh, ray tracing, or they were in the thick of the data center, which Wall Street panicked about last year, and you just couldn't see the results that they thought they would get. But when NVIDIA reported this time, they told a very different story. Ray tracing has arrived. Data center's strong. Companies' artificial intelligence chips are the hottest places of pieces of silicon out there. NVIDIA is a real good short of 280. But it became a nightmare short at 140, 160, and now it's at 171. I think it's got more room to run, maybe much more room. Remember, defeated short sellers are great fuel for exaggerated moves. I don't like to bet against the shorts. That's a fool's game in itself, as they often know more than we do. But when a short is crowded and wrong, you can rack up some enormous gains, which is exactly what we saw in Lowe's, Target, and Invignocrit. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast
3: is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.